At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, coming to you from the Freedom Doc Studios. I am your host, Christopher Havick, CEO, co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American healthcare. Today's episode is a really a special treat. We are diving really into life-affecting conditions, but what I love about this conversation is showing the showing the way forward with people with neurodegenerative diseases and there's actually good news out there. There's hope. There's a ton of hope. Please welcome CEO of Koya Therapeutics, Howard Berman. Howard, welcome to Healthcare Americana. I hope, I'm going to use the word hope a lot, you know, so I'm just trying to catch myself right there. But what I love about your work is that it is very mission-based to help people out there suffering from neurodegenerative diseases and show them that, you know what, this isn't just a losing battle. We can actually do something against it with modern medicine. So Howard, welcome to the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be on the show with you and look forward to having this dialogue today. So I want to start right out of the gates coming in hot. When we talk about neurodegenerative diseases, what does that actually mean? Well, it's a basket of conditions that is associated with a degenerative disease process of the nervous system. And depending on where in the nervous system this degeneration occurs, manifests as the disease. So for instance, if your motor neurons are degenerating and affected, that's ALS. If your pyramidal neurons are affected, then that's uh, Alzheimer's. If your dopaminergic neurons are affected, that's Parkinson's. So it's a basket of different diseases. But unfortunately, as you and your audiences aware, there are just very few treatments that are meaningful and actually provide uh, real, um, there are no cures, and there are very few that can slow or stop the disease. So focusing on ALS, I feel like ALS has been, you know, recently in the news, we had Ice Bucket Challenge, we have a lot of uh, different fundraisers attacking it or trying to combat this disease. In your opinion, why have so many efforts to combat ALS fallen short? No one really and truly understands what is the underlying etiology or the cause of ALS. There's a small percentage of of cases, and these are called familial, where you know the underlying genetic mutation, but that's just a very small subset. The majority of patients with ALS is, is caused by a whole slew of phenomenon which no one truly understands. And most treatments and modalities that are aimed at slowing the disease, unfortunately, just do not work. It's an incessant decline month after month. And people have thrown all sorts of things at the, at the disease. They've thrown 
different types of anti-inflammatory drugs and all sorts of things, and they've only have a few approvals. And those treatments that were approved only slowed the disease a very small minutia. And that, unfortunately, is just the standard of care. So what we're trying to do is to really buck that trend and hopefully make a much more meaningful difference in ALS in particular and other diseases. So with all these efforts to combat ALS, you mentioned the shortcomings happening. What sets Koya Therapeutics apart from what has been tried in the past? So what we've learned, and I think some of the work has emanated or a lot of it has emanated from the laboratory of Dr. Stan Appel. He is uh, one of the co-founding members of the company, and he is considered the father of modern ALS. He discovered a number of years back that regulatory T-cells, which is a subset of cell in your body that stops or slows inflammation, those Tregs, we call them Tregs for short, they're dysfunctional, they're not working properly. And because of that, one of the most critical outcomes is heightened levels of inflammation and oxidative stress. And you find that really in a significant way in ALS. So our approach is to target these Tregs, to enhance these Tregs. And while we're propping up the Tregs, we block or inhibit other inflammatory processes. We do it through a two-hit process, two different drugs, much like what they do in cancer by targeting different mechanisms. And if you're able to do that and and do it at the right dosages and frequency, our theory and our data so far shows that you can do a a significant amount in terms of slowing or stopping the disease from progressing and dropping the level of inflammation. Now, I understand Koya Therapeutics, it's been a relatively short journey. What's it like working in, gosh, I'm going to continue to say, you you know, kind of this big pharmaceutical world, but with a startup mentality? Well, I come from the big pharma world. And I've spent many years and I know how things work. There's a lot of money that is available to deploy. And in a startup environment, you really have to be flexible and aggressive and scrappy. And so we've done, we've been, and we've done all of that. But not having a lot and doing a lot with the resources that you have really showcases that you're able to really innovate and think in real time and create a lot of value for your shareholders. We've been able to do that. We're very adept at the trials that we run, and we're ensuring that the next trial that we run is meaningful, but also is done in a a cost-effective and budget-efficient manner. So we actually thrive in this environment. And I can also tell you there's a lot of interest from pharma in terms of what we're doing because of the pathway that we've taken and some of our clinical data. What are those conversations with other big pharma companies? You're like, hey, look, we're exploring this way over here. Do you ever scratch your head and be like, why didn't you guys do this? Are you, do you ever have a moment where you're like, am I the only one who's ever thought, is my team the only one who's ever thought about this? Well, something similar happened in the cancer world. And you can look 20 years ago where no one believed, not even pharma, they didn't believe that that the immune system played such an important role in oncology. And everyone was shunning and saying, you're crazy for even thinking about this hypothesis, and no one believed in it. But you know what? Those few companies that believed and drove that hypothesis, those companies really stayed on top. So that's a similar pathway that we are in, in neurodegenerative diseases. It's the immune system plays a critical role in that as well. But on the other side, it's heightened inflammation, and we want to stop inflammation. So we're doing similar things today that happened in the oncology world. We're taking a a page out of their playbook. 
I love it. I always tell people that if big companies did everything right, there would be absolutely no room for the rest of us. And we'd see innovation really slow down to a crawl. So thankfully, you guys are occupying that. Howard, I am curious, you know, my background is more in the primary care world. What does that look like with a regulatory, you know, working with the government to get new treatments out into the public realm? What is, what is your process? What's your timeline? Well, ALS is a different timeline than, for example, Alzheimer's, and it's different than Parkinson's. But ALS is a very specific disease condition because it's such a has such a high unmet need, unfortunately. The patients decline rapidly. So there's been a groundswell of patient advocacy that's been pushing the FDA and as well as uh, other groups in order to be more flexible. So there's something that is engaged called regulatory flexibility by the agency. And it allows the agency to look at the trials and make decisions on approval processes for those trials based on ways that they may not have looked at previously. So ALS, because it's a bad disease and it's an orphan disease and it progresses so quickly, the trial is shorter. So you do a six-month trial where you want to show significance at that six-month time point. And so our next trial plans to enroll more considerable number of patients, some placebo, some active, and then, of course, the placebo rolling into an active arm at the end of the trial. And it's our goal and our perception that we will work closely with the agency, the FDA, so that we can provide the meaningful data outputs from that trial. I appreciate you going into depth about you know, what that process looks like. I think most Americans just have this false image that, hey, these things aren't that expensive, or maybe they, they do understand the expense that goes into it. What's your ballpark investment into something like this? To me, it is an unimaginable amount of resources to get a treatment into market. Right. Well, that's where I think we have a lot of value that we can provide and quickly and with cost effectiveness. Many trials in different conditions require hundreds of millions of dollars to develop and to take all the way through a phase three trial for approval. And because the number of patients that we're going to require for this next trial, and we're ballparking 120 patients total, and a relatively short study, we're thinking that a total budget of about $15 million will be sufficient to take this all the way through to completion of the study. So that's a very cost-effective way of running a trial and getting the sort of information that you need to show the agency on significance in terms of efficacy and safety. So we're very excited about that and investors are excited about that because they see that we are running a company that is a bridge to somewhere and not a bridge to nowhere. A lot of companies unfortunately run trials that then lead to many more trials, which they don't know what's, what the future holds. 15 million. I'm actually surprised by that because in my mind, that seems like a very low number. Like you just said, it's a very cost-effective way to figure out the path and where you're going right here. So kudos to you. And again, I know you mentioned this earlier. What is the one thing, the main factor that contributes to you guys being able to bring something to market in a cost-effective manner? Just that one highlight for the audience again. Well, I'll just point to the proof of concept clinical data that we have in the patients that we ran in Houston Methodist. We ran these patients over 12 months. Typically, it's run over six months. And what we showed is these patients were declining prior to treatment. In those patients, we completely stopped the progression. And and that's a pretty remarkable feat. And if we replicate, even if we're 50% or 40% as good as that, we're still going to be having a meaningful outcome for our trial. 
So that data is uh, very exciting, and it also coincides with blood biomarkers that we've measured in the patient's blood. So it's a more objective way of measuring it. Those data combined really give us a hope that we're onto the right track and that a larger trial will potentially lead to the outcomes that we're seeking. Now, Howard, you have an amazing backstory, and I want to dive into that. First, we're going to have a quick commercial break here from our sponsors, Freedom Doc. Physician burnout is a killer. It's driving our best and brightest out of medicine. The only solution to burnout is to be your own boss. The easiest way to be your own boss is to join the Freedom Doc Physician Network. Freedom Doc is a unified consumer brand and will fully finance your practice so you can enjoy a healthier lifestyle, take better care of patients, and spend more time with your family. You focus on patient, Freedom Doc focuses on your business. So if you're ready to be your own boss, visit our website, freedomdoc.care, to learn more and schedule a consultation with one of our experts. Freedom Doc, accessible concierge healthcare. Once again, we're talking with Howard Berman, the CEO of Koya Therapeutics. Howard, we spent the previous um, segment of the, of the episode talking really about Koya and the innovation that you're bringing to the market around ALS and, and neurodegenerative diseases. Your backstory is pretty amazing. And I love talking with people who, you know, one, are very mission-based. And, and I, I believe that you are, and Koya Therapeutics is, you're out there to help people. But your experience from your professional life and your personal life I mean, to me, like it has led you to this point in time. In your own words, tell us your story because you've been at the top layers of big pharma and leadership positions, but yet it always comes down to a very personal relationship with the work that you're doing for those of us who are very motivated and very mission-based. So tell us a little bit about your journey to get to this point. Well, you know, sometimes an experience in life just happens and it's almost meant to happen and, and it leads you to a different fork in the road. And that's, that's what happened with the formation of Koya. I was taking my, my father was a triple board certified physician, brilliant guy. And I was, uh, unfortunately, after a period of time, he developed uh, a degenerative dementia. And dementia, there's not much one can do. It's unfortunate, but it, uh, it's just a, as I mentioned before, there's just no meaningful treatments. So I happened to bring him to Houston Methodist, one of the best hospitals in Houston. I was visiting Dr. Stan Appel, who I pulled strings and connections to get him in to see, and he's one of the leading experts. And of course, Dr. Appel said, I'm sorry, there's just not many meaningful treatments, but I'd like to show you some data if you can come in next week, and it's potentially relevant to your father. So I met him the following week, and he then showed me all the incredible early data he had, the clinical data, the preclinical data, the work that he had done in dementia, in Alzheimer's, in ALS. And by God, I, I was so impressed by the science and the, uh, the clinical outcomes. I was shocked that no pharma company had monetized this or commercialized this. So he had asked me, would I be interested in helping him commercialize it? And I just went home that evening with my wife and asked her, I'm going to quit my job at Big Pharma and I'm going to do this. And so the next day I came in and we went on the mission and the journey together. And uh, fast forward about two and a half years later, we became a public company, which was no easy task and feat. And it was that week, unfortunately, my father passed away. He passed away the same week that we went public, which was very sad, but it was uh, sort of like a bittersweet uh, outcome. And along the way, there's been a lot of phenomenal serendipitous things that have happened. For example, I hired a 
My first employee is a gentleman whose dad died of ALS and FTD and dementia and his whole family has been affected. And he unfortunately has the mutation that gives him a 95% chance of getting the disease. So these are, it's a very meaningful passion that we all have. We're all mission driven and uh, we all are committed to making sure that uh, these are commercialized and, and patients see this because we've seen a lot of exciting things so far. Do you ever find when you're talking to people and explaining what you do for a living and how your company operates, do you ever find people just open up about their personal stories and they're like, oh my gosh, I've had loved ones, I've had dad, mom, brothers. People go really deep into health issues when you start presenting options that are like, look, this is what we're trying to fight. What's your experience been talking to customers, patients, anybody around connected to your, your team and your company who have had loved ones afflicted by these kinds of diseases? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, as we all get older and as the population ages, we all start seeing the ravages of neurodegenerative diseases. It, it affects everyone. It affects, I'm sure you, if I ask you, do you know anyone in your family that has Alzheimer's or a grandparent or a, a parent? I guarantee you all your physician clients and customers, they have direct impact. I mean, their patients, but also their, their families. It's just, it's prevalent. It's everywhere, and it's only getting worse because of the aging of the, the population, and it's really an, an epidemic that is just growing out of proportion. So people do open up, and they say, oh, I knew someone that had ALS. I know someone that has this form of dementia. It's a bad problem, and everyone talks about cancer, right? Everyone knows cancer, and it's on the top of their tongues, but neurodegenerative diseases is really, it's just right behind there. So we've got to do things that can address that. And that's why it's at the top of our list. What are some of the challenges you face in this? And, and you know, you mentioned that most people think about cancer. Is there an education gap when it comes to the work that you're doing? I think the education is now centered around the, just like I said, two decades ago in cancer medicine is convincing people that the immune system plays such a critical role. It's the same thing in trying to convince the thought leaders, and I think people are turning now because of folks like Dr. Appel, that the immune system plays a fundamental role in all of these neurodegenerative diseases. And by attacking just beta amyloid, which is, for example, Alzheimer's, they have antibodies that try and remove the plaques. But you know what? There's a lot of risks with that, and, and that's not likely the true underlying pathophysiology. And so the inflammation, which is a result of those plaques, and also there's a feedback system. If you can educate people that attacking in the inflammatory component is a critical portion, then you've done your, you've done your trick in being able to convince these individuals. So it's an education, but I think the weight of the data is really supporting us and more and more peer-reviewed publications are coming out showing the role of the immune system. You mentioned earlier about you know certain people have mutation, genetic mutations that make them markers, I guess you could say, make them more susceptible to developing these type of neurodegenerative diseases. What have you seen really more of the preventive bent on anything? Like, Is there anything people can do to become more aware of their own susceptibility and ways to avoid potentially developing these diseases later on in life? Well, that's a very controversial subject, at least in neurodegenerative diseases. Do you want to be tested for APOE4 uh, in Alzheimer's disease? That gives you a much higher risk of getting Alzheimer's disease if you have uh, APOE4, uh, a certain type of variant of APOE4. 
And do you want to know that? A lot of people will say, no, I don't want to know that because then there's nothing one can do. You can, of course, live a healthy lifestyle and do things that don't contribute, like smoking, etc. But there's very little one can do. Similarly, in, in ALS, do you want to know you have a C9 or 72 mutation or a SOD mutation? There is a drug that was just approved, Biogen drug, uh, that attacks the SOD mutation. But uh, unfortunately, you know, it's not a truly transformative treatment. And that's because people that are diagnosed, that damage has been done over decades of their life. They were born with the mutation. So a lot of that damage has already been built up. So you know what, you'd have to probably be tested as a baby and see if you have the mutation. And then they decide, do I want to start treatment this early? It's very controversial. So until and unless we have defining treatments, I haven't been tested for ApoE4, for instance. And I don't think I'm going to, but that's why we, we want to develop as many treatments now as possible and things that are truly safe, but also can slow or stop the disease from progressing, kind of like HIV and AIDS. I totally understand what you're saying that. And, and that's a tough decision to make, right? That's like, I, I, I'm the kind of person I'm like, I would think I would want to know. I, I'd want to know what my kind of future holds. And maybe there's certain things I can tweak here and there from a lifestyle standpoint, but uh that's such a it's such a hard call, so I could get where people grapple with it, uh, one way or the other. It would be interesting to get from your physician uh, base. And if you did a poll, I wonder what they would say if you said what percentage of you would want to know if you have this uh, this variant. I mean, if you have this high high predisposition to Alzheimer's disease, would your would your own would the physicians want to know about themselves? It, it it would be interesting to know it from a clinical clinician perspective. I would agree. The thing about uh, you know working with our doctors, it's like you know the, yeah, I mean you could why not why not just stop there why why not go bigger and uh, you know you could survey a lot of different things. Has that type of survey never been done before? I'm certain that the data is out there, and I'm I'm sure that there's been individual quantification of the various types of people that want to gauge the sort of risk tolerance. But I don't know the numbers, but it would be a very interesting survey to do among different cohorts of, of population just to see how it all plays out. I will say that genetic testing has become very, very prominent in a lot of our practices. You know, in our practices, patients get a lot more time with their personal physician face to face. And so they get time to actually ask these questions when they do these genetic tests to see what they are susceptible to. Most of it's around diet, you know, uh, allergens at this point in time. But uh, I could see as the broader patient base and consumer base in America starts to wisen up to their own personal health and realize that this is a long-term investment, I could see a lot of people starting to be like, you know what, I'm going to get some tests done. I'm going to figure this thing out. I, I think it's becoming more and more mainstream than it was even two, three, four, five years ago. Well, I, you know, one sort of genetic test that I would suggest every physician do for their patient is pharmacogenetic testing. It's where you identify the mutations in your your cytochrome P450 system, and it determines which drugs will be best metabolized and best drugs that won't have interactions with your genes or other drugs. So those are sorts of things that are actionable that can really make an impact on a patient's life. I like that. There you go. There's a call to action for everybody listening out there. Start having those conversations and tests and, and shoot us a note here in Healthcare Americana. I'll pass that on to Howard and uh, we'll, we'll kind of develop our own informal study here. Howard, what does the future hold, the immediate short-term future and long-term? What's the next step? And then where do you guys want to eventually go? We want to run a larger 
well-controlled, double-blind study in ALS and have the meaningful trial that leads to an endpoint that we can take to the FDA and show them the importance of the difference between our active and two placebo. And we think that that can be hopefully a catalyst with FDA to bringing this to patients on a much larger scale. And that's our plan for early next year is to really start that study in earnest and uh, run that as quickly as possible because the patients need it. Howard, last question for you here. So I'm going to give a big, big hypothetical. So I want you to think big here. You get the ability to control every single billboard there is in the United States to get your message out there. What do you put on those billboards? I would say the meaning of our mission is personal. And we have the early clinical data to showcase that we're making a strong clinical impact on our patients. This is a deeply personal mission. And uh, we really have the evidence that we're on the right track. Howard Berman, CEO of Coya Therapeutics. Thank you, sir. Wish you guys the best of luck. Such important work for the health of really everyone out there. I was about to say all Americans, but I mean, this is something with global implications uh, for the for the human species, I would say. So there we go. Best of luck to you, sir. And thank you for coming on to Healthcare Americana. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes, subscribe to our mailing list, and visit our online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all of our episodes. Visit the shop and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced and managed by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.